The reading's taken from Isaiah 6, 1 to 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphims flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. The second reading is from John 17, 13 to 21. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctified by them, by the truth, your word is true. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me, I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray now. Father, uh, speak to us through your word. Thank you that you have um, invited us into partnership with you in your work in the world of salvation and healing and restoration. Set our hearts on fire, Lord, as we uh, read your word to us today. Amen. Uh, so today we kick off a series about the mission of the church, um, and uh, specifically the mission of this church, All Souls Church, in our particular context and time. Um, we spent September looking again at our vision and uh, becoming uh, disciples, apprentices, or learners, as Mike put it last Sunday, um, through being with Jesus, becoming like him, and doing what he did. And the focus of our teaching for the rest of this term is on that, um, that third goal of discipleship, the, the doing what Jesus did, or doing what he would do if he were living our lives today. And this is all part of the journey for us as a church, sort of coming out of 
the COVID-19 pandemic, the seismic changes that have accompanied that. You know, the Bible talks of times of famine and war and plague and environmental destruction. We've had all of those over the past three years, haven't we? We've had all of them over the last three weeks, to be honest. But it's not just these kind of big global factors that make it necessary to kind of carefully consider our vision and our mission in these days. There's also a cultural, societal backdrop unlike any other time in our national history. Um, Things always change, but the rate of change in these last 15 years has been astonishing. And the job of the church today, as it always has been, is to consider how to proclaim the gospel, this good news of salvation through Jesus Christ, to proclaim and demonstrate his kingdom in word and action afresh in the context we find ourselves now. In a sense, the vision and the mission remain the same. We're still just trying to carry out the basic tasks that Jesus set his disciples, but we need different tools and fresh understanding to apply that to today. Trigger warning. If you have a strong aversion to kind of so-called corporate speak, If words like vision and mission and priorities and values and ambitions, um, if those sort of bring you out in hives or take you back to a hundred bad training days um, or some of the most excruciating episodes of The Office, um, then there will be a bit of that. Um, However, and this is important, the word mission predates all corporate training programs, all Hollywood movies, all British mockumentaries. In fact, its origins are found in the story of the Bible. The word mission uh, comes from the Latin missio, meaning to send or be sent. The Greek word is apostolos, and where we get the word apostle from, meaning the apostles were literally those who were sent. Last year, we um, called our series, uh, you may remember this, looking at the early chapters of Acts, the early days of the church, the gathered, um, because that's what they were. Um, uh, But that series ended in chapter 8 with the gathered becoming the sent, being scattered, using Jesus' words, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And today, we're going to look just a little bit at the why of mission, why it's important, why we should do it, Uh, beyond simply because Jesus tells us to. Um, There was a famous TED talk um, years ago by a guy called um, Simon Sinek, I think think that's how you pronounce it. You can still see it now. Um, The recording is really dated. It's sort of on a sort of analog uh, camcorder. And in it, um, Sinek says that the difference between successful businesses and organizations and those that fail is often the ability to communicate clearly the why. Uh, So he gives the example of Apple. Um, Apple had many competitors who created similar products, many of which were as good as Apple's products. But Apple sold the why, their distinctive vision for life and how their products enable it. And they did that brilliantly. Every employee of every company understands the what, what we do, what they do, what they make. Some understand the how, how it's made or how it's done, but few, says Sinek, really understand the why. And it's the why that is key to motivating action. So why should mission be important to us? Some research recently that only one in three Christian parents believe that passing their faith onto their children is important. That got me thinking about the why. If that's true, then there's something we're missing about mission. 
Joshua, our youngest, is coming up to his sixth birthday. Um, he's quite clear on what he wants uh, for his present, which is actually a Peter Pan costume and a pirate ship. Um, and this follows a little bit of a theme. Uh, over the past 12 months, uh, Joshua has been all about superheroes. His favorite toy is his Spider-Man Lego sets. His favorite clothes are his Spider-Man pajamas. In fact, when I bought them for him, he couldn't wait for the nighttime. He just wore them all day long as well over the top of his clothes. Joshua's at his most joyful, leaping around and acting out scenes with his Lego creations. Spider-Man is a story about great power and great responsibility. Spider-Man is a story about a boy with a mission. Peter Pan is another story about a boy with a mission. He wants to play the hero forever, battling the forces of evil in the form of Captain Hook and never growing up. Um, we actually went to see the brilliant Peter Pan Goes Wrong last week at, um, when it was on at Richmond Theatre, tragically without Joshua. He was a bit young for it. Um, and it's hilarious if you ever get the chance to see it. One of the first movies that I saw um, was uh, the cinema was Hook, um, in which Peter Pan has grown up to become Robin Williams. Um, and uh, he's forgotten Neverland, and he's traded battling the powers of darkness for the world of corporate law and finance. And business. Now, I'm, I'm not here to trash, trash law and finance and business. Um, far from it, the kingdom needs people who make and give money seriously. And those areas, money, finance, and business, and banking, desperately need Christians and people doing those things as Jesus would. But there's something in that story, isn't there? Peter Pan from going uh, from superhero to moneymaker, which I think helps us understand something of Jesus' teaching about mission, and specifically the connection between mission and joy. The inspiration for what I want to share about how our mission and joy are linked comes from uh, a talk um, given back in 1992, actually, by Tim Keller, a um, similar time to Simon Sinek, um, a, a, a pastor in New York City. Um, if you've never come across Tim Keller, go look him up. Um, he died earlier this year uh, and was just the most profound, godly, biblical, clear teacher on a whole range of subjects. Um, I'm reading his books on prayer and on marriage right now. Um, those are two separate books. It's not prayer in marriage, although that is important too. Um, uh, uh, if you want to hear a good story about the power of prayer in marriage, speak to Ritesh and Smita. They've got a great testimony about that. And the heart of what um, uh, he says, uh, Keller says, is that Jesus saw mission and joy as deeply connected. Mission leads to joy. Now, maybe that resonates with you. You love getting out into the world and telling people about Jesus. You've invited everyone you know to come to Alpha. Um, you, um, you're not content with a day until you've offered to pray for someone and given them um, an all souls term card. Um, maybe that's you. Can I share something with you? My first reaction is, that's not me. Um, and I don't know if that shocks you. I don't know if that leaves you feeling disappointed in me, but it's the truth. Uh, part of my job description is to be a leader in mission. But in truth, that doesn't fill me with joy all the time. So what should I do? Let's uh, have a look at what Jesus said. John 17, 13. I am coming to you now. That's the Father, he's saying. But I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. 
This is uh, part of the same discourse as John 15, our vision passage um, about the vine and the branches. Um, In this bit, Jesus is praying to his father for his disciples. And he's saying in his prayer that what he has shared with his disciples will bring them joy. What has he shared with them? His mission. Throughout John's gospel, Jesus is described as the one who is sent, sent by the Father into the world. 43 times in John's gospel, I counted, Jesus describes himself as the one whom the Father has sent. It's his primary self-descriptor. And in John 17, verse 18, in our reading, Jesus says, as you, that is the Father, sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. My mission is now their mission. The the, the one who is sent becomes the sender. I think we've got two mics on there. We'll kill that one, just so I don't end up echoing too much. Great. And it's the mission for all who come after them. That's what Jesus says in verse 20. I pray for also... I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. So how are joy and mission linked? Over to Tim Keller. Um, Jesus' mission, his sending, if you like, is so that we could have joy. But it is also the cause of his own joy. Hebrews 12 verse 2, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. What was that joy? It was you and it was me. His mission to us is his joy. I love this. This is, um, this is kind of the gospel in a, in a nutshell. This is what Jesus has done. Because we put ourselves in God's place, he put himself in our place. Because we substituted ourselves for him, he substituted himself for us. Because we took upon ourselves the things only God deserves, he took upon himself the things that we deserve. Isn't that great? I love that. He did that for us because it brought him joy. He shares that mission with us so that we can share that joy. Joshua is not an unusual child. Um, Children love playing superheroes. They want to be part of a story that um, changes things for the better. And this taps into a fundamental part of how we were made. Something in us was built to find joy in a bigger cause, in a greater good. And for centuries, that was the Western mindset. That was just assumed. We live for something bigger than ourselves. But in recent decades, that's been reversed through the rise of individualism. Individualism says there's now nothing more important than my own personal fulfillment. There's nothing, uh, no higher cause than my individual happiness. Nothing worth denying my happiness for. My main goal is my own comfort. And guess what happens to our joy in that? It's gone down. By every metric, every bit of research, our quest for personal happiness has produced the opposite. Keller said that uh, back in 1992. I don't think anything in the last 30 years has done anything to disprove that. By raising my own significance to the highest, I actually lose my significance because I have nothing to sacrifice for. Putting my needs first, I gain freedom, but I lose my mission and I lose my joy. We've um, kind of come to scorn the idea of missionaries in our culture today, the idea that people should share or impose their understanding of the world on others, Um, even our own children, as that research I uh, mentioned earlier suggests. 
People who want to change the world are crazy, right? They often make themselves deeply unpopular, um, you know, because we don't like people who impose their views. Picture a protester throwing orange powder or jigsaw pieces in a sporting arena, bringing down the ire of tens of thousands of people. Um, you know, actually, when we, when we went to Wembley in um, May to watch Luton in the playoff final, we fully expected the game to be interrupted. It was right in the middle of that season where everything was being disrupted with orange smoke bombs. But then we realized being Luton, everyone had orange smoke bombs. So the protest would have lost its impact, so they didn't bother. That, I say idiot, but how is it that people willing to do something so unpopular, copying so much abuse for it, and yet have a joy in what they do? It's because they believe in their mission. Mission brings joy. We were made for this. Uh, In the story of the Bible, humans were created to co-partner with God in his mission. In Genesis, God calls Abraham and he sends him. He sends him to bless him and to be a blessing. We spent last month in Isaiah 35. We didn't look at um, chapter 6 where Isaiah receives his commission. So here's how the story goes. Isaiah is in the temple uh, one day. Um, He's actually grieving, um, and he has this unexpected encounter with God. And remember, our vision, it all starts with presence, through being with Jesus, through encounter. That's the launch pad of mission. In God's presence, Isaiah becomes aware of his own sinfulness, but God forgives him and purifies him. Remember, our vision continues with formation, becoming like Jesus. That's the becoming holy. Finally comes the commission. Who will go? The heavenly conversation goes. Who shall be sent? Bowled over by God's presence, made holy by his cleansing and forgiveness. Isaiah says the fateful words, here am I, send me. Send me. And then God goes on to tell him that no one's going to listen to him ever. Imagine that. You know, remember, half of Isaiah's message were words of God's judgment on his people. And the words that were hopeful, the positive ones, looked forward to God's rescue and salvation. They weren't for the people he was speaking to. They were for those who would come after. It was for us. Yet Isaiah gladly accepted this mission, this sending. Like with Abraham, God blesses people in order to make them a blessing to others. The only way that we can be a blessing to others is to be sent. Abraham, Moses, Isaiah, Mary, like Jesus himself, the one sent from the Father, who for the joy set before him carried out his mission. If you think your faith is a personal thing, just a personal thing, you haven't fully got it. Jesus always blesses us in order to send us. And it's in being sent that we will find our joy. I know this is true um, because I spend far too much time at my desk pinging emails and WhatsApps back and forth. Um, That stuff is important, but the most joyful part of my week this week and also the most uncomfortable part of my week, by the way, was taking a pack of flyers from the back and delivering them to houses. Um, It was uncomfortable because it led to conversations. I have this thing where when it says on a door, no junk mail, Then I ring the doorbell (laughs) because, well, I don't want to disrespect the notice, right, and put it through the door. So I ask people if they would like this flyer or not or whether it would be counted as junk. So I just thought I'd check. Um, So they get the flyer anyway. Um, 
Only one person told me that they didn't want one. Everyone else who answered, I had a conversation with, and um, I actually ended up offering to pray with one lady. It was awkward. It was uncomfortable. But once I was back at my desk, I realized it was the most joyful part of my week, despite it not being tailored to my comfort. Quite the opposite. Mission has become something strange in our culture today. Strange to others, strange to us. That by holding individual freedom and comfort as our highest value, we withdraw from mission and we lose our joy. Um, shared this quote before Archbishop William Temple famously said, the church is the only organization that exists for the benefit of its non-members. It would be wrong to say that our relationship with Jesus is not about uh, being blessed, us being blessed, um, having hope, being healed, being made whole and renewed. Of course it is. That was Jesus's mission. But if it stops with us, then we miss what we were given that, whole, that hope, that wholeness, that healing for. And we miss out on the joy. Final quote from Tim Keller, uh, for today anyway. Um, I like this. Your joy is smothered under your small ambitions. Your heart and your spirit were made for nobler things than that. You were made for world-changing mission. Uh, earlier in the summer, I took uh, Nathan, our eldest, to a day trip to the Tower of London. Um, after checking out all the armories and um, all of that and visiting the crown jewels, we crossed Tower Bridge and we sat opposite, um, on the opposite bank eating ice creams, looking at the towering skyscrapers of the financial districts of the city. Um, we talked about banking and the vast sum, sums of money involved, um, of how these towers were built as a testimony to or in the service of great wealth. Um, a week later, we were in France um, on holiday. Nathan found a, a monopoly set, and he created, he set up the Bank of Nathan. And uh, this was his game for the next week, making money. And I found myself comparing the games of Joshua, age six, saving the world, with Nathan, age 12, kind of making money. Had Nathan decided that saving the world was a little bit beyond him, set his sights a little lower? If so, Why? Um, again, just to stress, I'm trying to illustrate something here. I don't think banking is of the devil or money is bad or that Nathan's games are bad and that he's going on down the wrong track. Both of um, those things are capable of serving God's kingdom. But just like in the movie, I think something dies within us when Peter Pan grows up and trades battling evil and protecting orphans for the, you know, the individual dream. We were made for more. Joy comes from mission. Joy comes from being sent. So that's the why. Um, just briefly before I finish, I just want to touch on um, briefly just some of the what and the how um, that we'll be looking at over the, the next sort of seven or eight weeks. Um, like I said at the top, uh, the, the, the task of the church is to understand what it looks like to be sent into the world uh, as it is now in order to proclaim Jesus. We have two frameworks that are going to help us with that. Um, here's the corporate speak. The first is the London Diocese Capital Vision 2030, which you probably can't read there. Don't worry. Sorry. Um, which is um, for every Londoner to experience the love of God in Christ. Um, that's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? 12.5 million people, everyone to experience Jesus in seven years. So just to explain, if, if these uh, dioceses, we are part of the London Diocese. That's kind of about 400 um, churches uh, mostly to the north and the west of the River Thames, if that makes sense. We've got one diocese the north of London, that's London Diocese. There's another one the other side of the Thames, which is Southwark Diocese. Um, so we are part of a bigger picture of the church in this area. 
And this um, vision uh, for every Londoner breaks down to three ambitions, um, confident disciples, compassionate communities, and creative growth. We're going to be looking at each one of those in turn, along with these three priorities of growing younger, becoming safer, and more racially just. Within that, every church is encouraged to identify three missional priorities expressed in a mission action plan. Sorry, this is really getting a bit David Brent now. And the PCC has done that. Um, And the three strategic priorities for our mission action plan for 2024 to 26 are um, welcoming and connecting uh, people, um, investing in our work with children and young people, and developing our ministry and mission with Ivy Bridge. Um, Don't worry if you don't know what some of that means. Um, That's what we're going to be unpacking in the coming weeks. Next week, we'll start with Confident Disciples, the perfect topic for our Baptism Sunday. Um, And it's not too late to let me know if you'd like to take this opportunity to be baptized as a disciple of Jesus Christ, um, one called and sent by him to carry out his mission in the world. We're going to have a big baptismal pool up here. I think there are four four of us are being baptized. Um, Yeah, Marcus, Sarita, and Masood, and uh, Sienna as well. We're looking forward to that. 